Lord, hear the prayers, the song, the voices of these, your people. We want you, Lord, to transform our heart by the hearing of your word today. God, we are grateful for what we experienced in baptism. We're grateful that the heart of a child can be drawn to you in grace and salvation. We're grateful that the heart of a dad can do the same. We're thankful that all of us who followed you, Lord, in scriptural baptism realize, as as Dan so wonderfully said, we will fail you, but you will never fail us. And one day when that trump sounds and the dead in Christ will rise and this mortal will put on immortality and this corruptible will put on incorruption and this imperfect will put on the perfect, we will be made righteous, totally and completely sanctified. And that day is a certainty. But, Lord, today we battle with sin, we battle with the flesh, we battle with disease, we battle with depression, we battle with discouragement. And so, Father, today as we look at your word, help us be good soldiers of the cross and follow our captain into battle, assured of the victory. There are some in this room, Lord, who are really struggling financially this week. Uh, This is a tough time for them, and they're concerned and and frightened even about the future. There's others, Father, that are facing serious physical issues in their lives that seem overwhelming to them. And Lord, some are just constantly attacked by anxiety and discouragement and depression. Others, Lord, I know have broken relationships, difficult marriages, and troubled families, and jobs where it's crushing even to get up and go to work in the morning. Lord, you're aware of all of that, (laughs) and you've not abandoned us in any of it, and you will meet us at the point of our greatest need. And so, Father, today, just, just make us aware of your presence. You are here among us. We don't need to invite you here. You couldn't be any more here than you are right now. So just make us aware. Remove the scales from our eyes. Unclog our ears. Melt our hearts of stone so that we can hear you and experience you and see you in all your glory and all your love and all your majesty and all your power and all your might. The resurrected Lord is among us. Take away our fear. Take away our anxiety. Take away our dread. And give us the hope of the resurrection, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. Well, I'm really looking forward to this text. You know, it's going to take us a long time to get through Timothy. Been here a month and we're on the third verse, so it's going to take us a while. But, uh, you know, as I said, and I I do, you know, one of the benefits of preaching through a book of the Bible is you really do get to go back and sort of review every week so that you do understand it and know it and and you get a sense of of its background. And the first week we were here, remember we talked about how that it was, that, 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 the reason Paul got in so much trouble where he was, the reason they stoned him, killed him, literally thought he was dead and left him for dead and naked and drug him outside of town and threw him on a heap was because he basically told those folks, why you're believing is pointless. It's worthless. Truth matters and you don't have it. And he wasn't saying that out of anger or bitterness or spite. He was saying it because eternity is in the balance, and he cared for them, and he loved them. And after he awoken, and, 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 and they thought he was dead, he walked right back into town and kept preaching. And then it was a result of that, no doubt, that Timothy's mother and grandmother came to 
saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so Timothy had heard these stories of Paul, had known Paul. Paul wanted to know of a young man he could mentor, and, and they said, it's got to be Timothy. And as we said before, he's 100 miles away. I mean, that was a long distance, but the word about Timothy and his, his faithfulness had reached that far. And so Paul begins to literally pour his life into young Timothy. And as I met yesterday with hundreds of leaders across Long Island, and most of those churches are struggling and having difficulty. Very few of those leaders really had a significant plan to mentor and bring along young leaders and put young leaders in place of real leadership. All churches would like to have young people. It's just that most people my age, we like to have young people there just because it's fun to see them, but do we really want to turn things over to them? Do we really want them to be in charge? Do we want them to start making decisions? And unfortunately, in a lot of churches, the answer is no. And here, Paul intentionally places this young man in leadership. And, and, and there's a lot in the church who don't believe he should be in leadership. He's too young. He's too inexperienced. And as we said, Timothy even doubts it himself. We'll go back and we will read again the first few verses and then Focus on the one verse we're going to look at this morning. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, why by the command of God our Savior, Jesus Christ our hope. Again, Paul has this immense love relationship with this young son of his. Remember, you have two families, right? If you're a child of God, you have your biological family. And for some of us, we're doubly blessed. That's a great family. For others of you in this room, that is one of the biggest challenges and difficulties in your life. I understand that. But we have a second family, and that's our church family. <laughs> and that's a glorious place, and it goes on for eternity. And so if, you, if you're doubly blessed and you have a wonderful biological family, well, then you get this church family that's just even, just even a greater blessing. But if you're like so many people in our country today, and it always has been, your biological family is a source of stress and challenge for you and some even pain Oh, there's a family of God that loves you and comes around you and cares for you. And so Paul talks to Timothy as my son, but he reminds Paul, Timothy, that even though I love you as a son, I have authority over you, not by my own, but that God has given me. And church, first of all, family, parents, You have authority over your children. It doesn't mean you don't love them, you don't care for them. It doesn't mean you don't embrace them. It doesn't mean, it just means you can't be, you're not there to be their best buddy. You have authority over them that does not negate your love for them. Paul makes it clear. His authority comes not by his own desire, his own plan, his own scheme, but God placed him there. And that's true in your family. And listen, church, it's true in the church. When the church body selects leadership, be it elders and others, you are investing in them authority and you willingly submit to that. It's the order of God doing those things for all of our benefit. And he says to Timothy, my true son in the faith, and then we spent a whole sermon on these words, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, remember? Grace, getting that which you don't deserve. <laughs> heaven, mercy, having withheld from you that which you do deserve, God's eternal wrath and judgment, hell. And it is through grace and mercy through Jesus Christ that we have peace first with God. And once you have peace with your creator, then you're able to have peace with others, even people who don't love you. 
people who are your enemies. So every, literally every letter Paul writes, he talks about grace, peace, grace, mercy, and peace. And those aren't just three words he strings together. That's the heart of the gospel. And then verse 3, as I urged when I went to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. And we talked a couple of weeks ago that young Timothy, like all pastors, wants to leave. (laughs) I mean, we all, it's hard. Look, if you knew everything about my life, you probably wouldn't come and listen to me preach. And if I knew everything about your life, I probably wouldn't want to come and preach to you. People are messed up. This side of heaven, we're all pretty messed up, all right? We're all pretty broken. And as pastors, we, we, we absorb a lot of that. It, 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 it's laid upon us. And it, it, if we're not careful, if, if we don't lean into Christ, we don't lean into the gospel, we don't constantly refresh ourselves, it will burden us. People disappoint us. We disappoint people. I overcommit myself, not as much as I used to, but I still overcommit myself constantly. And I do that, the, the reason I do that is simple. It's, it's, it's that I want people to like me, and so I want to please them. And so I say yes to just about everything, and then realize I really can't do that. And that desire to be made much of, that desire to be loved, that desire to be, have people affirm you, that, that gets me into trouble because I, I end up overcommitting myself. And when I overcommit myself, I'm worn out, and I'm supposed to be in three places at one time. And I'm supposed to finish up in Long Island last night and be here this morning. <laughs> and go see my mother-in-law this afternoon, amen? All right. He lives in Manhattan, Kansas. Anyway, I'm looking, f- I'm, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> so overcommitting myself. And we do that as pastors. We take too much on ourselves. And Satan knows that. And so Timothy wants to leave. He wants to leave. This is Ephesus. This is a pretty good church. I mean, this is, this is like the first century church in Ephesus, and he wants to leave because guess what? Even though, even though it was in the first century, even though people living there, had many of them had, had, had seen Jesus and knew Jesus and, of course, knew Paul and experienced what Paul did and all of that, they were still people in that church who were so messed up, they were just causing conflict and difficulties and struggles. And Timothy's like, this isn't what I expected. And then Timothy is like, I don't think I'm up for this, and I just need to leave. And Paul is urging Timothy to stay. I was with those pastors yesterday in Long Island, and they came to a conference on revitalization, so most of them are struggling with their churches. And what we always say when we talk about this, if God God has called you to go there, all right? God's called you to go there. Here's here's what you do. You preach, you pray, you love, and you stay. And many pastors, many of us, we can preach, pray, and love, but staying, that's a whole different deal. I mean, before before Rich came at Warren, I wanted to leave every week. Even after he came, I wanted to leave every other week. I mean, and, and... 
And, you know, I, you just want, you just, anyway. So he's telling, he's telling him to stay. Right? Stay. Don't leave. Your work's not over. You know, when the Apostle Paul ended his life, he said, I have sang the good song, danced the good dance, <laughs> played the good game. No. He said, I fought the good fight. I think sometimes as pastors, as elders, as Sunday school teachers, as deacons, as moms, as dads, as church members, we forget. I mean, we know cognitively in our head, but we forget daily that Satan is a schemer who never stops scheming to try to rob us of our joy and take our eyes off of Christ and put our eyes on our problems and put our eyes on ourselves and make much of ourselves and just mess us up with sin. Paul said, daily, I have to battle my own flesh, at least I'm not worthy of the gospel I preach. We forget that this side of heaven, we are in a battle. Now, the great, unbelievably exciting news is that James, the brother of Jesus, says your life is like a vapor. It's gone. It's like a mist. It's like over and it's just gone. And what happens after this life is over? There are no more battles. (laughs) There's no more cancer. There's no more divorce. There's no more looking at the budget, wondering if you're going to be able to pay the bills. There's no more funerals. There's no more gravesides. There's no more... It's all glorious. I mean, what we're going to have in heaven is pleasure. We're not going to be sitting on a cloud. And I love the harp. Don't get me wrong. I love the harp. I mean, I would join this church just for the harp. I love the harp. But, you know, you get that picture that when you, get to, when you die, you get to earn your wings, sit on a cloud, and play a harp. That's cartoon. That is not in the Scripture. When you die, you don't become an angel. All right? You become like Christ. We will know. Paul says, I see through a glass dimly. Man, I don't know about you, but that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I don't have to know everything. Paul didn't have to know everything. Because Paul said, even though I see through a glass dimly, one day I'm going to see without the glass between me and Jesus and the truth. And I'm going to know everything, and I'm going to be like him. And I don't know what we're going to do for eternity but I promise you this, we're not going to be bored. All right? We're not going to be bored. That's what we were created for, is to glorify God. We, the reason we battle so much down here is we weren't created for this. This is the battle, and the battle's been won. And so, you know, Paul's reminding Timothy, Timothy, don't leave. This is a battle. I mean, there'll, there'll be a day when Jesus calls you home and the battle's over, but the game is going on. Don't leave. Don't leave the stadium. I mean, hang in there because we're going to win anyway. So I urge you, he says, to remain at Ephesus. And as I said last time we preached, we're in a culture where people don't want to stick with anything, right? We just, we don't want to battle through anything. And I know, you know, I, you know, I, I was at Warnell for 10 years, and when, when the North American Mission Board asked me to take on this role, I, I debated whether I should stay at Warnell and, and try to continue to preach on occasion and turn some of the more the leadership over to the other elders. And I, I miss Warnell tremendously. I feel confident that 
given my schedule and all that I was asked to do, I really couldn't divide my attention that way, and, 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 and Warnell needed to move on without me. So I stayed there 10 years. But I, I know, and I know some of us in this room, I mean, have moved from church to church. I, I understand that. We do that. I've done that. I have. And, and there are reasons from time to time that God would move you from one place to another. But you hear me in all love and kindness, all right? The only reason to leave the church you're in is if God wants to use you somewhere else. We, we are not consumers of religious services. We don't leave a church because this one down here has got something a little more interesting for us. Oh, we do actually, but we shouldn't. I had a friend of mine in Philadelphia who said, you know, he had people come to him, and his church was growing pretty rapidly. And they said, you know, we, we, just, we just think we're looking somewhere else. This just doesn't feel like home. We've really not ever fit in, and nobody's ever. He said, well, how long have you been here? And they said, we've been, we've been here about 12 months, 14 months. He said, I'll tell you what, stay 20 years and tell, ask, ask me if you feel, still feel the same way. I mean, sometimes we, we, we want instant things to happen, and we've got to look at things on a different time scale, and, be committed. And so what you know, Paul is telling Timothy in this very part of this first letter is, first Timothy, just make up, just stay. Get that out of your mind. I was with a, a pastor yesterday named, named Sam Rayner. I'm beginning to really respect a lot. He's, he's in, he's in Florida. Sam said when people come to him in his church and they've got issues, you know, this sounds kind of silly and trite, but it really works. He listens. He hears them. He, 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 he lets them share all that with them. He validates that those are important things. Then he says this, all right, how, let's be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So how can we work together to solve this? And so Paul is telling Timothy, stay there. Now, why, this is, now, now we're going to move into the real meat of this verse this morning where we haven't been before. Paul says, I urge you when I was at Macedonia to remain in Ephesus. Why? To grow the church numerically so you can break the 300 barrier, <laughs> so you can have multiple campuses, so that you can build a larger mega church, so that you can... Why? What's the purpose? Why would you stay in Ephesus? It's a, it's a messed up place, and there's a lot of conflict, and you're a young man. You've got your whole life ahead of you. Everybody says you're one of the greatest. Why don't we just put you in a place that's not messed up? Why don't we take you to a church that would really listen to you, a church ready to follow your leadership? Why should you stay in this place that's got all kinds of conflict and difficulty? What should you do there? What's your primary purpose for staying in Ephesus? Well, I, I want to tell you, you and I know it. We've read it. Many of us have read 1 Timothy many times. You know this. It doesn't surprise you. But if you had never heard this story before, I think this would surprise you. Paul says, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine." Well, where did that come from? I mean, if you, if you go online and you look at all the church growth kinds of studies out there and the church growth, ways to grow your church, ways to reach people in your neighborhood, ways to make your church bigger, har- hardly ever does anybody says, now the most important thing you need to do as a pastor is teach sound doctrine. But it is. Everything else connects to that. You must teach sound doctrine. Like we said, truth matters. But you remember, we told you a couple of weeks ago, 
This whole thing started in the garden, right? We don't know where, don't know how Satan got in the garden. That's one of the things we can, we see through a glass dimly. One day we're going to know that. It's like, why did you even let him in, God? I mean, you know, but he's there. That's just, it's just, it's just the, it's just the obvious that in the scripture, serpent is in the garden. And he, he's able to get Adam and Eve to sin because he instills in Eve and Adam false doctrine. That's where it starts. God doesn't really mean what God means. The Scripture doesn't really say what the Scripture says. If it's offensive or seems unfair to us, then we don't have to accept it. And that's how Satan came to Eve, and that's still how he disrupts the church today. You must stay there in order to instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine. Now, when you talk about doctrine, there are issues of first level of importance, second level of importance, and then I like to use this word because it makes me sound smart, tertiary level of importance. That means third. I looked it up. On the level of sound doctrine, it's pretty obvious. You can read the New Testament. You can read the book of Hebrews. You can read the book of Romans. And you can understand that there are certain things that sound doctrine are incredibly obvious. Sound doctrine, the things you cannot in any way, shape, or form and and be true to the Scripture, you cannot deviate from, is that there is one God, the Alpha and the Omega, who created everything, and that he is holy, 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 and he cannot look upon sin. And he created this earth and everything that's in it and that the wages of sin is death by his declaration, and that, that that created a situation where man could never live a way in which he could atone for, all, for even one sin. There's, Jesus said, all of, your, all of your good works is like a pile of filthy rags. And I know I've said this many times, but that's okay, because you're going to know it, all right? You take all your money, you give it away. You give everything you have to somebody else. You buy a one-way ticket to India, and you feed the poor until you die. It doesn't buy you two seconds in heaven. All your good works cannot erase one sin. So God, in his divine plan, became creation in the form of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived a perfectly sinless life, willingly laid down his life, a ransom for all who would be redeemed, God poured out his wrath on his son and the God's holy wrath that had to be satisfied for the sin of the redeemed was satisfied on Calvary's hill once and for all. And Jesus died a physical death and was buried in a real tomb and rose on the third day and sits at the right hand of the Father ever making intercession for us and is going to come again one day. Those are not negotiable. There are other things, like how's he going to come back? <laughs> you know, what's, what's the second coming look like? You know, the, 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 those are things that, and, and, and even the spiritual gifts. You know, there are some who believe the, spirit, the, 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 the more evident sort of gifts of healing and those kinds of things. There are some brothers and sisters who believe those ended with the apostles. There are some who believe they continue now. I mean, and, and even on the, there's a lot of other things that are important that we can talk about, but are not the level of sound doctrine, right? 
first level. And often what happens is churches will take, take first level things and move them to a second or third level. And they'll take second and third level things, are you following me, and move them to the first level. And that's where we get into trouble. We take second and third level issues. At this side of heaven, we're never going to fully have the full knowledge of what it is. And we can discuss it and have, even, even the first century, remember they were talking about, well, circumcision, you know? It should, and, and, and if we're going to go meet with the Jews, we need to be circumcised. Said, no, you can, and eating meat offered to idols. There were all kinds of second and third level issues there that they didn't always agree on. And, and sound doctrine is we have to know what those are and those we don't move from. But the adversary likes us to take things that are secondary and third tertiary issues, move them to the first level and take the first level issues and move them down to where they're not as important. And this is what he talks about. He says to teach false doctrine or pay attention to myths and endless genealogies that promote empty speculations rather than God's plan which operates by faith. So what's he talking about? He's talking about this. Rather than focusing on the sound doctrine, you've got people in that church, Timothy, who are, who are, who are focusing on myths and endless genealogies. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but here's what we do know. They're tertiary or below, all right? They don't really matter. And there's no real answer to them. You can just talk yourself in a circle over them. And people have sort of divided up into camps and say, well, I think this means this, and I think it means that. I mean, you know, there's, there's some speculation about what happened to Jesus by the time he was, you know, at the temple, and we see him in the beginning of his public ministry, and some people, you know, have all these speculations about what happened with that. And, and there's all kinds of things we can speculate on, and clearly what's happening here is there are people in this church that have taken secondary and tertiary issues, and they've moved them to the forefront, and they've decided they're going to be in camps, and they're going to argue, and they're going to fuss over them as though they matter all that much. And Paul is saying, you've got to get a handle on this, because on those things, it just goes on and on. There's no solution. There's no resolution. And people find themselves empowered by that. Listen, I've been in ministry a long time. No, I look pretty young, but um, coming up in August, it will actually be 40 years in ministry. I know. I was 18 years old when this, I was a freshman at college in this church that had just gotten started in Liberty. I knew some of the people said, we need a pastor. I went at 18, (laughs) and I've been in some sort of vocational ministry ever since. And if I'd worked for Boeing for 40 years, I could retire, <laughs> nonetheless. But it'd be 40 years. And here's kind of what I've learned. I want to be cautious about this. But every now and then, I get somebody that comes up to me, and they got like this huge notebook of stuff they found, they've written, they've looked up on the Internet, they got the answers to all these kinds of things. They get all freaked out about some strange little thing in, 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 in theology, you know, some, they got their little pet thing, you know, about something, about the second coming or, or, or about soteriology, about salvation, how we come to it. I mean, they get, they get all about, about the structure of the church, and, and they get all... And, they, I, I can't, and anytime somebody comes to me and they've, they've done all this work on one little tiny deal here, 
That's when I want to find a rock to crawl under. Why don't you come to me and talk to me about the glory of the gospel and how Jesus every morning makes you clean again. Why don't you talk to me about the fact that your salvation doesn't depend on your good works but on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Why don't you come to me like the Apostle Paul would and say, you know, there's some things I just don't know this side of heaven, but here's what I do know. I know I'm his and he's mine and I know I'm going to heaven. I'm not supposed to love my brothers and my sisters. I'm supposed to love my enemies. But no, I, we get people who get all hung up on these things and, and what it is, it empowers them. It makes them feel important. Even in terms of the way we do church. Listen to me carefully, church. I do this for a living, all right? I work for the Southern Baptist Convention, directing revitalization and replanting, and so I deal with dysfunctional churches on a daily basis. Many times a day. <laughs> and one of the questions always asked is, well, how are we supposed to do church? And we get people that get into corners and go, well, we shouldn't have these kind of leaders, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't do it, and we should have this kind of business meeting, and we should have these kind of things. And here's the reality. If, 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 if God wanted us to have a particular single way to do a church, he would have put it in the scripture. But here's what he did. He basically said, come together as a family, as a flock, a fold, a family. Submit first and always to the chief shepherd in your life. Select from among you leaders to lead you. Call them elders, call them pastor leaders, call them whatever. And those people are held to a higher account and they have to hold one another accountable. And you all just follow Jesus listening to him. The question we never ask in a church is, what do you think we ought to do? Or should we do this? Or ought we do that? Who cares? The question you ask is, how we prayed about it, and what has Jesus told us he wants to do with his church? Because this is his. And so we don't get into endless arguments over details of a bylaws and a church governance, you kind of have to have those as a framework. But here's what I've said so many times, and I know I'm sort of, you know, I just was doing this in Long Island, so I'm sort of still back there mentally. You're going to have to just deal with me. But if, if, if many of the churches I deal with, if they were half as passionate about following Jesus as he directs them in the Scripture, as they are following their bylaws, their churches wouldn't be in the trouble they're in. Okay. When, when Paul is talking to Timothy about endless genealogy and endless myths, he's talking about tertiary and even below issues that have no resolution that people like to fight about. And you know what? In a Baptist church, a tertiary issue or below, there's probably a word for fourth, but I didn't look it up. A fourth or fifth level issue would be, would be what's the sanctuary going to look like? What are the seating arrangements going to look like? Even what's the music? As long as the music glorifies God and the lyrics speak the gospel. What's it sound like? Those are not primary issues, and we're never going to all agree on those. And Paul is telling Timothy, you've got to help people understand what is most important and agree on that, and the other things, it's okay. Don't get lost in that. That is what Satan wants us to do. Can we come together and agree on those things? Because endless speculation, endless conflict, my opinion over your opinion, I think this is how we should do it. I'm more comfortable doing it this way. I love bluegrass. 
And if the Lord lets me stay here a little bit longer, I'm going to tell you how you can help me love bluegrass, all right? Because i got a big bluegrass event coming this fall. I love bluegrass. Don't worry. I'm, I know what I'm doing, all right? I'm going to do something here. Show you how much I love bluegrass, all right? Don't worry. I'm all right. All right? I took my meds this morning, so I'm fine. All right, look, see? I wasn't planning on doing this today, but I wear one of these every day, all right? See? That's Bill Monroe right there, all right? I realize I should probably have a Jesus shirt on my chest, but that's Bill, Bill Monroe. Was not a perfect human, by the way. Let me tell you what. But was pretty good at music. Father of bluegrass. I love bluegrass. Here's the deal. Jill and I go to church someplace. It's not likely they're going to have bluegrass in the worship service. If we do, well, Jill and I just hit the Shekinah glory at that moment. But it's... No, I'm just, I'm just messing with you. Most bluegrass theology is, it's about as weak as, uh, it's about as weak as Joel Osteen. So most bluegrass theology is, uh, yeah, most, most bluegrass theology is, the mama's in heaven, so I'm going to go. I mean, that's about the limit of it. But I like the music, all right? Some of it's better than that. But my, here's my point. When Jill and I go to corporate worship, if I, if, if, I don't understand, if I don't like the songs in terms of it's not my taste in music, I didn't know, don't really think I could sing that very well. I don't, but if I can look at the words and the words glorify God, the words remind me of my sin, the words are biblically sound, it's four songs a week. Chill out. And then when I get in my truck, I can listen to, I can listen to, 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 to Bill Monroe all the way back to Shawnee, Kansas, as loud as I want it. Nobody's telling me I can't listen to music I want to listen to or sing with the Gaither homecoming videos when I get home. No one's telling me I can't do that. But if the corporate body under the leadership of the church says, it seems to be that God is leading us maybe to focus on an unreached group or to reach a particular millennial generation or whatever, to change some of the music that we're doing, that's a third or fourth or fifth level issue as long as the music glorifies God and not man. Then just let it go. Don't, uh, there's no way we're going to have... I go to churches all the time, bless their hearts, and I know... And I know you don't do that here now, but I church all the time. I go, well, we got a little contemporary. We got, we got a little traditional. We just mix it up. Why, you don't please anybody? <laughs> and I know there are a lot of churches, and this is, you know, this is on, going on over the Internet, so millions of people around the globe are going to be watching right now. But I, I, and I know, I, know people, I know people feel, I know they do this for the right reasons, and once you're sort of doing it, it's real hard to undo it. I, I get that, so... If, if, if you're a church and you did this for the right, what you thought were the right reasons, it's hard to unwind it. But if you're a church that has two or three services and each one is different, that's a problem. We're going to have a traditional service for those who like all this. We're going to have a contemporary service for those who like all of that. We think, of what, an hour or two a week we can't come around to gospel and set aside some of our preferences? I mean... That's exactly what Paul's talking about. Now, he's not talking about music here, but, but there were some things going on that people disagreed over. Paul says, There's just no, they're just endless. They don't go anywhere, but people have sort of divided off into camps. It's become disruptive, and I understand, Timothy, you want to leave. Who would want to be in a place like that? 
But he said, that is exactly why you have to stay. And then we'll conclude with this. Because the goal of our instruction, verse 5, is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussions. Like when somebody brings me a huge three-ring binder of some minute detail of theology that is just the most important thing in the world to them. They want to be teach. I've got to quit because we've got a lot more to talk about next week. The goal of our instruction is the love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Why do we teach sound doctrine? We teach sound doctrine because of grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, having that which we don't deserve given to us. Mercy, having that we do deserve withheld from us so that we can have peace with God, so that we can then out of that have peace with our enemies. That doesn't come because you sing the songs I like. That doesn't come because you don't move me out of my Sunday school room that I've become so attached to. That doesn't come because we focus on some strange little, 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 little branch of theology out here that doesn't make any difference to our eternal security. Paul says sound doctrine, moving people so that every morning when they wake up, they realize his mercy is new on me. Every morning when they wake up, they see the risen, resurrected Lord. Every, that, that is what changes their heart. That is what makes us love one another and put everything else aside. And Paul said the reason we teach sound doctrine is because it, true belief and, and true commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ brings peace and contentment, not dissension and not fussing and not arguing. And if a congregation has, and, and a family and, and, and Christian friends, if they've, if, they've, if, they've, if they've denigrated into fussing and fighting over secondary and third level issues, it's because they're not focused on the gospel and on Christ. In, in all of my work with a lot of churches, you know, there's a generational divide many times. I don't sense it here, but, but there's some. There's, there's, always, there's a generational divide in my house because my wife's younger than me, all right? So, I mean, that's, that's what I give it up for. But, but there's generational divides. That's just, we just, we view, as we grow older, we, we become smarter and younger people are dumber. We just can't help that. It's just the way, it's the way things are. But um, there's just that, you know, there's that generational divide and 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 in churches it here's the deal if you're my age and you've been a if i've been a if i've been a pastor for 40 years and i've i've been a follower of jesus for 50 years i need to be a lot more patient and gracious than some young person who's only been a follower of jesus for seven or eight years i'm the one that needs to be so gracious, so patient, because I've had so much, I've lived long enough to see how much Jesus has put up with me. Yet in many of the churches that I've served and worked with recently, I've had, I've had older saints say this to me. All that church cares about is the young people, and we're the ones that give the money. 
You know? You know, here's the deal, dear sweet ones. It's not about how much I've done for Jesus in 50 years. It's about how much Jesus has done for me in the last 50 seconds as I've stood up here. He's kept me in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's interceded countless times for me, even while I've been preaching. Reminding Satan that I am not his, that I belong to Jesus. It's not about how much I've done for God. It's about how much he has done, will do, and continues to do for me. And when we put our eyes off of ourselves and onto our risen Savior, when we put first things first, when we teach and listen and obey and follow sound doctrine, the result is peace and grace with one another. That's what Paul's saying. Now, you could say, Paul says, you need, Paul could say, look, you need to stay there and knock, knock, knock some heads together and make these people quit fighting, right? Or get rid of the ones who are, who are causing problems. But he basically says, look, if you'll just teach sound doctrine, if you'll just lift up Jesus and have them fall in love with him again, these other things, these endless myths, these endless arguments, these endless secondary and third level issues will not make any difference because there's no hope in those. The hope is in the gospel. And Satan loves to get our eyes off of the gospel and onto these other things, our preferences, things that we feel powerful about, and maybe even we gather some people around us who say, you know, I agree with that. You know, you know one of the, the main thing a pastor dreads hearing in his ministry? Pastor, I've been talking to people, and this is what I hear some people saying. I hear, yeah, yeah, really? Okay, great, thank you. Not, yeah, what do you say? That's what I want to know, yeah. What do people are saying, whoever people are out there. Because we can get people around us to kind of back us up. And like I said, there's just this natural thing we have that I'm right, you know, and my opinion matters. And I'll end with this, and I know I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Remember when Martha burst in and interrupted Jesus speaking? She said, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? You know what it means for a first century woman to interrupt a rabbi while he's talking? Let alone that rabbi was the eternal creator of the universe. So why did she do that? Because she believed with every fiber of her being she was right. Just because you believe you're right doesn't mean you're right. In fact, if you're that convinced you're right about a secondary or third level issue, it's probably Satan. It's really, I don't, I mean, I have my opinions on some of those things, but I'm not, I'm not sure. So what did Jesus say to Martha? Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. About that time applause broke out in the house. Like, finally, don't we all know that? She is no fun to be around. And then he said, since you brought up Mary, let's make the comparison. See, Mary is seated at my feet, listening to my words. That'll never be taken from her. Joy, listen, I'll end. Joy is not found by wanting people to acknowledge you matter and your opinions are important. Joy is found when you lose yourself in Jesus. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this group. I need to hear this message. I get caught up in wanting people to like me, and I get caught up, Lord, I confess, I get caught up in some second and third level issues that sometimes I get real passionate about. Lord, just help me today to keep the first things first, to sit at your feet, to listen to you, to spend time with you, to realize how much I have been given, how much has been withheld from me that I deserve, the peace I have with you, and then out of that overflow of peace, Lord, may I have peace with my brothers and sisters, even those who don't agree with me. So, Lord, if there's one here today who's never really responded to faith in you, open their eyes and reveal to them their need of a Savior, and even before they leave, may they, may they, just in their own words, just talking to you, just say, I know I'm a sinner, and Lord, I, I just, I need, I need your forgiveness. And then, Father, may they speak to me or to Dan or one of these other individuals here at the church so we can show them in God's word how they can know they have eternal life. Some, Lord, maybe have never followed you in scriptural baptism as we saw happen today. That's a first step in obedience, Lord, convicting that they need to do that. But most of us have done all of those things. And, and Lord, so the day the message for me and for all of us is to help us fall deeply in love with you and, and, and maintain our passion for the true doctrine of the gospel that Jesus is everything and we're nothing and and he has completed the task on our behalf and we have great grace with one another because he has such incredible patience with us. In Jesus' name, amen.